0: Songesomaphece on, on SAFM. We're back, we're live, we're on SAFM. Good evening. Thank you so much for those who are tuning in now and for those who have been tuned in. Indeed, Songesomaphece here on The Viewpoint. 20:37 is the time. New conversation interrogating the African fossil fuel policies following the closure of the Russian gas pipeline. Certainly a conversation on energy and the global demand where Africa sits in that global demand. But more importantly, where Africa sits from a supply side and the opening up of the African market for energy or its potential. Nonetheless, Professor Patrick Bond, political economist, political ecologist and scholar of social mobilization, is on the line to give us a geopolitical lecture predicated on the energy questions, if even that makes sense. I think it does. Patrick, what do you think?
1: Well, it's great to be with you and the listeners, Songheza. So I think this is the critical issue for us, but also our future generations. And asking the question, um, is it fair that Africa goes uh, um, into uh, accelerated gas, oil, and even in South Africa, uh, Botswana, Zimbabwe, uh, Mozambique, coal? Even old coal is is uh, under tremendous demand. Is it fair to um, ask Africa to avoid fossil fuels when it has Uh, contributed so little uh, overall uh, around uh, one percent of the total greenhouse gas emissions from non-south african countries uh, on the continent south africa itself about 1.8 percent so this is absolutely the critical question and for future generations worried not only about climate uh, but also about their access to hydrocarbons that they would not we would assume they would not use for uh, for combustion to burn up and to use for energy of or for transport, but they'd use it for, for important things like lubricants and pharmaceutical products or uh, synthetic materials or necessary plastics. This is the question really for us, but also our future generations, isn't it? Do we leave them a planet that uh, is burned up and where Africans are migrating en masse to hostile countries that are xenophobic? Well, even South Africa. Uh, or can we stabilize this climate?
0: Well, let's talk about global energy right now. Where are we sitting in relation to global energy supplies? Where are the challenges? And, of course, it's probably going to start, not necessarily end, but the Russia-Ukraine question is central to this question. But beyond that, what should we be thinking about when we talk about global
1: energy supply and demand and the challenges therein? It's um, so crazy, isn't it, that since February 24th, when uh, Vladimir Putin uh, authorized this invasion of, of Ukraine, that the uh, oil uh, and gas, but also the coal prices have gone through the roof. They were moving up because we'd been coming out of the COVID crisis. So there was a demand, a pent up demand for energy. But it's just been absolutely insane to see uh, you know, the price of coal over $400 a ton, whereas it had been down to about $35 at the low point in April 2020 during the big crash of uh, the world economy and i think uh, you know the geopolitics of putin's invasion and i do say putin because it does seem you know had there been any other russian leader this necessarily wouldn't wouldn't necessarily have happened but it's uh, such a choice that uh, he made to uh, let's say uh, cover his own back politically in Russia, He'd run out of steam, and many of my colleagues there think this was this was a sort of a gambit he made, um, and that he thought he would win quickly and easily. Uh, and also, he has so much oil and gas, and, and also a bit of coal, and that that was coming to Europe through the Nord Stream pipeline. Uh, the, there are two; one has uh, been running for about fifteen years, the Nord Stream One, and it was especially under the German Chancellor um, uh, who had uh, uh, put put this sort of uh, let's say strategy in place to to draw in Russia to to the west through this relationship of buying their gas and oil Um, and uh, uh, Angela Merkel and her policy really was uh, based on assuming that this would have a lasting stabilizing effect it did the opposite because it empowered Putin and especially when uh, the U.S. and western financial sanctions hit and the oil price went up um, he was Uh, as we've been seeing just the last few days, uh, able to turn on and turn off that uh, pipeline. And the prices have soared and, you know, they've come down a little bit since May, but this ability he has to, 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 Uh, put europe on basically a a cold turkey situation Mm -hmm. i just happened to be in uh, uh, italy last week and they're absolutely terrified of the winter they're going to be um, doing energy rationing something i think we should all be doing we should all be looking at what kind of uh, outputs we get from our energy are we producing ridiculous things like you know tin cans for soft drinks we throw away right away through uh, high energy aluminium smelters, as we do in this country, or uh, squeezing coal to make uh, petrol, as Sasol does uh, in its Secunda plant, the number one point source of emissions. So I think this is the sort of thing the whole world is beginning to consider. China is turning off, uh, partly because of a heat wave last week, its uh, uh, microchip plants because they just are using way too much uh, electricity and the, the systems are breaking down and consumers aren't getting it. So we're in a situation that reminds me of uh, the early 1970s when there were oil uh, embargoes from the OPEC countries, the, particularly from Saudi Arabia and the, the other Middle East countries. And uh, the world is waking up to the energy addictions and some of the vulnerabilities that come with it. We're going to talk about the vulnerabilities that come with it and perhaps where the
0: opportunity for Africa lies if the international... Um Energy Agency, Africa Outlook is anything to go by the June 2022 report, which I've just glanced through. But you mentioned quite a few things about Putin, which the more I'm listening to you, the more I realize just perhaps the global West, as it were, might have underestimated the control Putin really does have in relation to forget the war. But the energy, I mean, he's obviously through Gazprom providing the most part of developed Europe and parts of other, other parts of Europe with this gas, he's turning it on and off, as he might please. It's certainly created some form of panic, if not entire panic, in those nations as they head to winter, to which you've made reference to. The long game at this stage might seem to favor Putin, favor in the sense that he's getting more of what he wants and what he's not getting versus versus the other way around.
1: It's really hard to tell, not only because of the reversal militarily um, that their uh, Russians are facing and. Uh, uh, the donbass they're, they're being uh, uh, pushed pushed out of some of the land they've occupied the last few days i don't know enough about the military situation but songhiza i think you're right that the uh, the sort of backlash to uh, let's call it the western role in this invasion because putin invaded uh, but the context was important which is that the west had said back in the early 1990s george hw bush um, Helmut Kohl from germany uh, It was at that point, I think, John Major, certainly Margaret Thatcher, before she left. uh, They'd said to the then Russian leaders, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, who just died uh, last Mm -hmm. week, and also Boris Yeltsin, they said they wouldn't move NATO beyond what is uh, currently the eastern border of Germany, East Germany. They uh, would take NATO up there, but then they wouldn't take it to Poland. They wouldn't take it uh, to uh, Romania, to the Czech Republic, and so forth. And then they did, and they've moved... uh, in periodically, uh, even under uh, George W. Bush, under Barack Obama, in ways that uh, you could say, because the West has such an appalling record of invading other countries, just on a whim, what they did with uh, Iraq, uh, uh, Libya. These are the kinds of, let's say, the awful traditions of Western imperialism that um, I think the rest of the world, including Cyril Ramaphosa, but certainly the ANC foreign policy committee that has had so much influence in reversing South Africa's initial hostility. Uh, The initial call on February, I think it was 25 or six, was by the foreign minister um, uh, Naledi Pandor. She said that Putin must withdraw troops and that was reversed very quickly. Uh, once the ANC kind of came in and said, "No, no, actually, we want to be neutral in this. We want to be able to negotiate, uh, you know, with both sides." And now uh, this week we see Joe Biden hosting Ramaphosa to to put more pressure on him. He was also brought to the to the G seven meeting in Germany, mm-hmm. where Olaf Scholz had brought him. So massive pressure on South Africa and other African countries to toe the line, the Western line, and to be part of the sanctions. But you know what impressed me? I mean, I first I was. Quite surprised that the west had the ability to take roughly half of uh, uh putin's uh, hard currency in his reserve bank which carelessly they'd left in western banks uh and uh, that was about 350 billion dollars and they, they obviously also put the tough sanctions on the, the oligarchs these very rich russians they did. but also then the the russians kind of immediately had a way to put exchange controls and uh, the interest rates went very high and then went back down again the currency crashed dramatically and then came right back up again and it's partly because the oil and gas prices really did rescue putin and so uh, about a billion dollars a day was going into putin's coffers from uh, europe even while they were putting financial sanctions on the russian economy and of course it helps that china and india are friends and friendly as it were with
0: Russia so the demand certainly coming from China and India is not about to let up it never will because they account for at least a third of the world's population and they're getting
1: good deals at present. They are a proportion of uh, their imported oil and gas that's coming from Russia is soaring and there's a big new pipeline being built uh, from Siberia right uh, directly into China Um, so yes all of that's uh, underway that is um, the BRICS have suddenly made a comeback after, you know, Bolsonaro from the right wing of Brazil and, and even Modi, who is uh, uh, very antagonistic to China because of the uh, border conflicts they've had, uh, scores of troops killed uh, over the last few years in fighting on the India-China border. And these kinds of conflicts and contradictions suddenly have just disappeared. It was interesting to me that it was at the end of June, June 24, I think it was, that the BRICS held their uh, sort of Quick uh, uh, virtual summit. They'd hope to have a in-person summit in September in China. The, the the host this year, South Africa, will host next year. But they did it very quickly. I think Xi Jinping realized that because. The German Chancellor, do you remember when Olaf Scholz actually came to South Africa? Yes. He'd also been to Senegal and Nigeria, and he invited uh, Sir Ramaphosa on the 27th of June to come to southern Germany for their G7 meeting. So that was a very quick meeting. And what it did, um, it surprised me as, as a very careful student of the BRICS, because they are now beginning to do more concrete activities in the financial sphere. We'd heard of a contingent reserve arrangement alternative to the IMF, but it never came to fruition, and hence South Africa got an IMF loan in 2020. We should have, you know, I, I'd have hoped, looked for the contingent reserve arrangement from the BRICS as an alternative. Um, also, we were supposed to have a, a, a vaccine center based uh, here in Johannesburg, and we didn't uh, get that uh, from the BRICS. And then it sort of started up again. Uh, it's a very tricky situation because of these contradictions. If uh, Lula da Silva, the former Brazilian president, comes back to power in early January, if he wins the election next month, which it looks like he will, he's got about a 12% lead, there'll probably be a runoff, but I think he, he'll probably win. Then the BRICS will really be something much more formidable. They're thinking about bringing in a variety of countries like Argentina, Indonesia, maybe even Egypt. A is that not US the ally. concern ultimately
0: that is playing out here, albeit as triggered, if you like, by the Russia-Ukraine thing. The West, I mean, I was looking and reading the Financial Times. The global West is concerned by the growing influence of both China and Russia in the latter day On, on the continent. The fact that many African countries have remained largely neutral in this question is a confirmation that perhaps the traditional stronghold the West might have had on Africa is not the kind that they would have wanted of yesteryear, certainly. And the fact that the BRICS formation is forming and becoming stronger with each passing day, if you like, it might not necessarily be as optimal as it could be, but nonetheless, moving in the right direction, there's something of an undercurrent that says
1: the West is panicking. Yes, let's not just think of the West, though, Um, Songheza, as um, a few capital cities, especially Washington, D.C., London with its chaos, they've got a brand new uh, prime minister. Uh, Germany, always a sort of solid, even with a conservative switch to social democrats. Um, France, these are the main four uh, Western uh, capitals, Tokyo, of course, uh, perhaps Rome, Um, but uh maybe even ottawa canada mm-hmm. but so this g7 formation which just met they would certainly like to to maintain hegemony right military power economic dominance but there are a couple of stress points beyond just the what happens with the invasion whether the ukrainians can really repel the russians uh, or whether they'll do some deal that gives russia a big chunk of ukraine and i think we're seeing them in africa and it, it particularly some gaze up, Uh, Naledi Pandor had complained of when she hosted Anthony Blinken, the US foreign minister, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Remember, she said, um, don't be pushing us, don't be bullying us, she said. Uh, And it wasn't just uh, the visit, which, which Blinken, a very suave, skilled diplomat, could could handle but it was the fact that the united states congress their parliament their lower house called the house of representatives had passed a, a, a law it, it won't become a proper law until it goes through the upper house the senate and the, it gets signed but it would then penalize african countries who have trade with russia aside from grain aside from food and that's a very interesting um let's but say that's use just gonna great a, a
0: retaliation i mean Sure, never mind what the WTO has to say in relation to this and all the most favoured nation conventions at a multilateral and bilateral level. If the U.S. should do that, well, what's stopping Africa from retaliating precisely
1: on the questions of grain and food security for the United States? Well, and there are not that many, um, uh, let's say, foodstuffs going to the U.S. It's mainly these uh, minerals. So South Africa certainly with 85% of the the platinum group Even metals. Even better. Uh, yeah, it could be. Uh, you know, we've never really seen, we should have probably under Donald Trump, we should have seen a sanctions movement against the United States because he pulled out of the climate talks in June 2017. And we saw people like Nicolas Sarkozy, the former French president, and, uh, you know, left-leaning economists like Joe Stiglitz, Naomi Klein, the great climate activist, say they need to be put under sanctions because if Donald Trump uh, says his companies don't have to follow what are now being understood as as global universal necessities to cut emissions and the u.s companies just keep polluting like there's no problem like it's climate denialism we should put sanctions and that brings us to i think some the most interesting threat that africa will if goes down the route of producing more gas and oil and uh, for south africa coal and that is We could get uh, climate sanctions against Africa from the West. And the power relation is such that it's not really Africa's ability, even in alliance with China, with Russia, with with India to fight back. But the critical flows um, of our raw materials to the West often via China. Those could be subject to sanctions. Those are called a carbon border adjustment mechanism. What it means is that Europe, starting in January next year, is uh, beginning to say we, we're we going to put on strong emissions constraints on our own economies, but we don't want anything to leak. In other words, we don't want some people to sneak in with products from countries that have high embedded carbon. That is, um, our energy supply in South Africa is 80 percent plus coal. And that will mean that the products that come from South Africa are highly destructive for uh, greenhouse gas emissions for the world. Now, this isn't just coal. That's what's critical. Let me ask this question. Sorry,
0: I'm Mm -hmm. going to try and rush you a bit now because I'm I'm looking at the Africa Energy Outlook 2022 and sort of in the executive summary, it, it refers to gas and oil production focuses on meeting Africa's own demand this decade. In other words, at present, we're talking about less than 3.5% of Africa's industrialization that is predicated on gas and oil production. The study suggests that even if, for instance, the increase would be of the kind that is required to meet Africa's demand for energy and development for the year 2030, it would only increase by a mere, and the critical word here is mere up to a mere 3.5%. So in relation to climate change and the pollution, the continent would at best account for three and a half if it goes on a mass scale, industrialization, gas and oil particularly being the sources of energy. So why would Africa not do this? Why would Africa not do this? One, increase the levels of development on the continent, but also be potentially a supplier and a substitute for the energy that the world requires. And more importantly, it doesn't attract, at least it shouldn't on paper, attract the kinds of taxes and the public opprobrium from an emissions perspective, simply because Africa, the continent, would amount to 3.5% of that. And we know countries like Canada and the demand in the
1: United States is far greater than that. Yes, that's true, Sanke, So Those points are interesting. The 3.5% uh disguises that there will be certain products that are high energy intensive like aluminium smelting that's not just in richards bay right with south 32 they also run the smelter uh, called mozal in, in uh Uh, just north of Maputo, and that would become subject to climate sanctions. So it's where these high energy intensive activities occur, and the products are meant to raise forex for these countries through trade, that they would be the subject of sanctions. Although the EU doesn't yet consider gas to be subject to sanctions, they call it clean I can assure you that's going to change because it will have to. Uh, gas is 85 times more uh, uh, potent, a CO uh, uh, greenhouse gas, than CO2. But secondly, the really tricky problem is that when you say Africa needs to, we have to ask, well, who? Because if you ask Mozambique, with the largest say, uh, no. natural sure. gas field. Well, no, the point is it's not really Mozambique. It's Total Energies. It's ExxonMobil. It's INI, the Italian company. It's China National Petroleum. Uh, It's GALP. That's a Portuguese national oil company. Those five companies are the ones that are driving, especially Total. And Total was so strong that Emmanuel Macron, the French president, visited Paul Kagame just a year and three months ago, and then visited Cyril Ramaphosa. And within a few weeks, we saw more than 1,000 troops from Rwanda and from SANDF going to uh, capital gadom mozambique a few have come back in coffins tragically and they're there really for total it's a sub-imperial uh a gendarme right it's a sort of military uh, that is simply keeping uh, this ghastly company total full of corruption and uh, pollution and uh, cheating you know one of the worst companies in the world in exchange for uh, what in in place in well in for exchange what? for uh, you know, we what uh, Macron got uh, gave to Kagami was a little apology for the 1994 apology without real reparations for the role in the in the genocide. What he gave Ramaphosa was more interesting. It was, he said, I will stand back on my opposition to the COVID-19 vaccine and treatment intellectual property waiver. In other words, uh, Macron yeah. and the rest of the Europeans had said, we won't um, allow you to have, as you did with AIDS medicines, generic production in your countries because our pharmaceutical companies want those profits. And he said, uh in june of 2021 okay i'll stand back from that that, that was a good trade-off if i were ramaphosa i said mm, maybe i should send send of troops but you know it's so terrible but what does it amount to well it didn't amount to anything did Point. it at the end of the day the germans the uk the swiss and the norwegians they still got in the way were. of the troops Exactly, yes, the TRIPS still stand strong for big pharma corps, even in a pandemic, uh, when we desperately need many more of these vaccines uh, and whatever the next round of vaccines or treatments will be. But I think the other critical thing, Songheza, it's insane to me that we're drilling and we have an alternative to drilling. Um, The gas that will come from Northern Mozambique the world's largest gas field, will cause more cyclones. Uh, And those are the kinds of things that create more disharmony and uh, grievances. And that means the conditions for more Islamic militancy will rise, which means we'll send more SANDF troops to protect Total so they can pump more gas to create more climate change. It's a vicious cycle, isn't it? And we have an alternative. I know we don't have any time left, but it's to take the $8.5 billion deal that the West is giving for leaving coal under the ground in Abumalanga, in exchange, right, the 8.5 billion, we will move to, more rapidly towards closing those coal-fired power plants. That should be the deal for all of Africa. They should all get the compensation that the West is offering South Africa not to burn coal. We should do it for uh, extraction of gas, oil, and coal all over Africa. Would that not make sense as, mm. a, as a line of argument, as a Point of i wish
0: we had more time i'm minded to disagree with okay. it and unfortunately i'm going to have to leave it there patrick thank you so much for your thoughts i think this certainly that point is enough on its own to trigger another debate so you're more than welcome to come back i'll make sure the production team is aware of this it's an interesting debate certainly is and very much worthy of being had thank you very much great to be with you that's thanks 21 hours professor patrick bond political economist political ecologist and scholar of social mobilization wonderful chat let's go to news